As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to From the Recruiting, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We come every week and discuss what life is like following Watford FC. And, uh, well, we are here to discuss a 1-0 away loss at Oakwell, uh, where Watford let in an early goal for Barnsley and then spent another 90-odd minutes trying to get a goal back and were unsuccessful. Uh, I'm joined by Jason. Happy blooming Halloween. (laughs) Uh, Colin. Good morning. And Michael. Yes, it's a mournful mic, I'm afraid, today. Oh, well, I thought maybe uh, it's Sunday morning. We thought we'd uh, give ourselves a bit of time and I'd hope maybe a, a chipper Mike might turn up, but he's not here. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Mike, yeah, look, we, we left Wickham uh, away, not in a, a happy place. What, what, just remind me, what was on the list of things that we wanted to, to start to address? We just wanted to see a better all-round performance, didn't we? I think we lamented the midfield against Wickham. Uh, we lamented the, the link-up play uh, to try and incorporate the strikers into the game. And we lamented the amount of, of, of chances that, that we created against Wickham. And I was quite hopeful. You know, I'm on a WhatsApp group with my with my family who are, who are Watford supporters and they were they were quite disappointed, shall I say, with how Watford have, have performed for, for last stage of this season. And I said on, on Tuesday night after the Wickham game, I think we'll get a. I think we'll get a response on uh, uh, on Saturday against Barnsley. I think Ivic has got them well drilled. I think the players will feel they've let themselves and the team down a little bit with their with their showing against Wickham, and that I think they'll bounce back quite positively on uh, on Saturday. Now I must uh, confess I didn't see the game. I had to sort of family things meant that late changes in uh, in my agenda meant meant that I couldn't watch the game. But there's one thing that smacks me right between the eyes. No shots on target, and that would indicate that they haven't hit any of their targets that we set them from from Tuesday. So really disappointing that they didn't manage to to turn it round. It's been a it's been a disappointing week, really, hasn't it? One way or another. Well, let, let's talk about the, the, the game uh, in terms of was there any sort of uh, improvement, and maybe like we say, we'll probably end up talking about the, the strikers and and why that wasn't wasn't any better. Colin, 
for me, the, the bit that I was hoping the most for was seeing Chalaba back in the midfield with Cleverly and Kapu. A, firstly, because they all begin with C, and it's not loveliness to that. Um, but also <laughs> the fact that we knew that it was Chalaba starting, but is also a second game for Kapu. That didn't quite gel, did it? No. No, it didn't. Um, it definitely didn't. There were so many errors, passing errors, and, and that is very frustrating, and particularly from Kapu, in fact, who had a pretty rotten first half, I have to say. There were improvements. There were improvements. We did play well. We played we play particularly well after they scored, and we played well pretty much throughout the rest of the game. But what we didn't do was play effectively enough, and it seems to me... I'll tell you what it reminded me of, John, this game that I watched yesterday. It reminded me of watching Arsenal play Stoke on a Tuesday night, and we were Arsenal and they were Stoke. If you look at our players, our, our team on the pitch, we had ostensibly had 11 better players than their 11. I don't believe that a single player from that team playing for Barnsley, would have got into our side. That, that's, where I, uh, that's what I took from the game. But what we tried to do was play perfect football in the way that Arsenal used to complain that whenever they went to Stoke, they got absolutely hammered physically and uh, there was never any space and their space was closed down and they defended like warriors Stoke against Arsenal and they very rarely came away from the Britannia with anything. And it really felt like that. We passed the ball, we passed the ball, we passed the ball, we passed the ball, we got to the front third, we couldn't find a final ball, we recycled it all the way back to Ben, we passed the ball, we passed the ball and it went on and on and on. Now, we didn't have any shots on target, but to be fair, we did have some chances. We had a nice header from uh, Wilmot from a, a corner. We had cleverly had a really good chance. The ball was knocked to him across the box. Very, very hard, very fast. He went for it with his right foot and he missed it. So we did create some chances. But if you're going to play or try to play this kind of form of perfect football where you try to create the perfect movement to score a goal, then you have to take your chances. And we didn't do that. Because interesting, Colin, you, you named a centre-back and a centre-midfielder uh, who had the two chances that you remember from that game. Yeah. But Jason, the, the, the problem we've got is, is, for me, it's a lightweight attack. It's felt that way. Yes, it, it has scored, scored goals uh, in Saar and, and Pedro. Was it just the fact that it's those two up front, they weren't taking the chances? Or was it more that why we weren't able to get the ball in the back of the net? I think it's partially down to that. And we said it the other day that, that you see Saar and Pedro fitting in better into a front three with a, a striker in between them that can, that can hold the ball up for them. And as Colin says, make us more effective in that final, final third. What, I thought we did do well yesterday was up the tempo a bit better. Again, as Colin says, the passing still wasn't great. I thought he mentioned Kapu whenever he got the ball until he started sort of dropping deeper late in the in the second half. Deeper, Jason. Deeper. He was a centre-back for a while. It was amazing. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And because he was playing centre-back, he had no one behind him to pass to, so he had to pass forward because for the rest of the game, he spent the majority passing backwards. And, and that in itself was, was part of the problem. It, it, we had tempo... <laughs> and we seem to be moving the ball about quickly, but some of that time it was moving backwards quickly. And that's part of the problem, as well as our strikers. And then also again and, and it and it feels like I'm repeating myself that the quality of crosses. Again, we've got a, a I'm I'm coming in with a, a good and a bad here. The good is again down the right hand side, we looked like we could make things happen. Kiko, time and time again, once more getting beyond, breaking the line of the defenders. 
good through balls to him that he's getting behind. He can then get crosses in. But the quality of the crosses from him yesterday weren't at the level I think that they would need to be. There was a lot of balls into into the sort of near post again. But again, you can you can say, is that because we haven't got a, a proper out-and-out striker up front? Does someone like an Andre Gray, is he anticipating that? And is he getting it at the near post and getting on the end of those crosses? Whereas the majority of them, I think, were, were saved by the goalie. I think every cross we had, the goalie managed to pick up because there was no one in at the near post attacking and getting on the end of them. It's really interesting listening to you guys, having not seen seen the game. I've seen uh, the Wilmot chance and I've seen the, the goal, which was obviously a, a, a wonder strike to win it. But you all sound relatively positive. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to slip into John's role for a minute and ask all three of you a question that needs two answers. I'm not feeling uh, very positive. <laughs> Well, it's, it sounds like there's the signs you see, and, and I was quite positive after Tuesday, and I felt quite glum yesterday and, and waking up this morning after after the result because it feels like I feel like I'm slipping into the camp of of my cousins and my brother and other people who have been a little bit negative about this this Watford side. But I'm going to ask you, it's just and it, it's only it's a word and a number that I want you both to give me. Was this performance better than Tuesday against Wickham? And what would you rate the overall performance out of ten? John, let's go with you first. It was better than Wickham. And I would probably give it, and I'm probably going to be the highest, seven. Jason? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with John in that it was better than, than Tuesday night. Um, John's also right, and he's probably going to be the highest. I, I think five and a half. I couldn't mm-hmm. decide between five or six. So five and a half for me. Cole? Yes, a bit better, although we lost. We didn't get a point like we did on mm-hmm. Tuesday. I'm going to give it, when you consider the fact that we're playing in the championship, I'm giving that performance a four. Because I, I woke up this morning and I'm feeling a bit grim, but then thinking about, well, we did lose to other teams. In the, it, it feels bad because it's Barnsley as well, right? And and uh, they're not a glamorous side and they, they've had their struggles. They've got a new manager. They dismantled QPR in the week. So there's obviously got a little bit about them, but it does feel there is something a little bit depressing about, and this is absolutely no disrespect to, to Barnsley, but there is a something slightly depressing when you're supposed to be challenging for the top end to losing away at, at Oakwell. But we did lose to teams we should have beaten in the Premier League as well. So I'm trying to balance it up and I'm quite enthused by by the some of the positivity that comes through my concern is is this team learning quick enough because you know it, last week I've been quite positive about how quick and fast thick and fast the games come because they give us opportunities to overcome the last disappointment and and get better but I just worry whether we're learning I mean but Mike are you saying is the team learning are you are you separating those two things from the players and the manager or are you, are you seeing them as a, as a one whole unit well, I've been very positive about the whole, well, a whole unit, and I've been positive about that because I feel that Vladimir Ivich is trying to impose an identity on Watford, something that we've we have we've lacked really for a little while, haven't we? We've sort of flitted around various styles and approaches, and you can see very, very clearly what's what's trying to be achieved, and that is keep it tight um, and score a goal, basically. Um, what we've seen is it comes comes unstuck if we if we concede, doesn't it? We don't we don't do well if we're uh, if we let one in. I think there's a really clear reason why we don't respond very well when we go behind, and it seems to me that there is a culture in the in the team, particularly amongst the defenders, that they want to sit deep no matter what the situation the game situation is. And we were one nil behind for the whole of the second half, and yet our three centre backs seem to be welded to the, their own 18-yard line. Even in the last few minutes with Capu picking the ball up on, on, you know, at just outside his own box. And the problem with that, and that is a, I think that is a, 
uh, a sort of subconscious thing because the manager is very keen on defensive structure and being difficult to break down and being sort of you know tough in that department what happened yesterday was that the gap between the three center backs and the midfield was enormous and then the gap between our midfield and the uh, forward line was was equally as large so for the defensive unit to change the game to transition from defending into 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 threatening the opposition the the, the 60 or 70 yards now we have seen this before with Watford but the problem for me is that there's got to be some sort of mental thing to do with the players and their relationship with Ivic and what Ivic is telling them because this was Barnsley, right? And there's nothing wrong with Barnsley, but they were not threatening us. They, they didn't really even look to threaten us. Mm. They were looking to protect that 1-0 lead. And yet, we still didn't see our back three move up to the halfway line when we had the ball to provide, to compress the play into Barnsley's half, to put more men in the box, which is the other thing we simply don't do. We don't put men in the box, which is back to my point about trying to score perfect goals, play perfect football. We don't crowd the box. And the other thing that really annoyed me about yesterday, really annoyed me, and this is something that I think has to change if we'd be successful in this league, because firstly, I don't think Ivic has really adjusted to what the championship is, and I don't think some of the players have either, partly because as Mike says, he's trying to impose this identity and style on our play. But they pressed the hell out of us in the first half and they continued to do it. And mm. they pressed us and pressed us and pressed us, which meant we had to start our play from our own goal line quite often, which is a hell of a task. We weren't able to break the press that effectively. And the other thing is that we didn't press them. And when we played in the Premier League, there were times when we pressed high up the pitch, won yeah. the ball high up the pitch and went on to score goals. And yet for some reason, the attitude is we sit in our half, we get the ball, we want to play nice football, we want to play it out through the lines. But the other problem with this, and this is the key tactical thing for me. These problems are, are stacking up here, Carl, aren't Yeah, they? they are. And, and, and that's why we lost 1-0 to Barnsley. The, one of the things that's interesting tactically when you watch a football team is if the defenders won't come up to join the midfield, what does that do? Well, it clearly creates space between your midfield and your defensive line. And Barnsley were able to exploit that space again and again, including their goal. The boy got the ball round about the halfway line, just inside the halfway line, in our half. He ran pretty much unassaulted. Or he just, they just watched him run for about 10 or 15 yards and then he got his shot off. Now, the problem is that the back line sits too deep and the midfield either won't come back or the defensive line won't go up to compress the play with their own midfield. It creates space. So in fact, even if you're dropping back and you think we're being defensively strong, we've got our shape, actually what you're doing is something which works against being defensive because you create space for the opposition between yourself and your own midfield. And it happened again and again. Barnsley had the ball in that area over and over and over again, running at our defence. Now that is not good defensive play. That is the opposite. And they don't go up as a team. They don't come back as a team. And I think that that's something that has to change otherwise we're going to find ourselves in this position week after week after week Jason let's say they, those are your issues and you are the manager of Watford have you created those issues yourself because of your own thought process and what you want to happen or do you think this is something that he's created purely from what he, he's got to play with well you, you listen to the, the sound bites and you listen to what people are saying about Ivic and you think He's doing this because of what he's got, but I, I don't believe that it should be like that. I, people are talking about he's only playing three at the back. 
he's not playing what he would prefer, which is 4-3-3, because we haven't got a left-back. We've got players that can play left-back. We've got, yeah. I mean, Kiko can play left-back. Kiko under Pearson when we had injury problems last year. And I'm sure there's other players that can play left back. Yeah. One of our one of our centre backs can play left back. I mean, Slav did that in the in the championship. I think that's just a, that's just an excuse. If we want to yeah, play I four agree. three three, which I think we we need to look at really now, um, given the issues we're getting, and then we need uh, yeah, it, it's that striker in the middle. Perhaps perhaps that's the reason why we're not playing free up front. But <laughs> we had a, we had Gray on the bench yesterday sitting on the bench for more than 70 minutes. Mm. By the time he's come on, Barnsley are comfortably defending. They're sitting back and we know what Gray's strengths are. It's the same problem we had, I think, in uh, towards the end of the season, last season, where substitutions were being made too late. And I think that's a, that's a problem that is definitely down to the, to the manager. We're in a position, we're in a game where we're 1-0 down it's not happening for us. There are, as we said, there are, there are there were positive moments. There were potentials for threat. So we need to do those little things to give us the edge, to change the game. And for me, one of those, and it's been statistically proven, I think I've talked about this before, if you want to affect a game with substitutions, you need to do them early. And we didn't at all. Gray comes on with less than 20 minutes to go. You, you're looking at him and thinking he's the man that could get on the end of those crosses. He's the man that could cause us a bit more problems up front. He's the man that could potentially, whilst he's not uh, a Dini or a Parisa, but he could still potentially link up Saar and Pedro. But we've waited till beyond 70, 70 minutes. Hughes comes on with less than 10 minutes to go. That, to me, isn't a game-changing substitution. That's just go and get some minutes in your yeah, legs, lads. Exactly the, right. the game's gone. That, that to me, was the probably the, 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 the most disappointing thing about yesterday. The fact that we had players on the bench, and, and, I've, and I don't know if you guys were like me, you saw that bench yesterday at, at two o'clock, and I, and I was certainly fantastic. The guys are back. Mm. And I said to mm. you half-time, John, on, on WhatsApp, for Gray at least, get him on early second half. None of that happened. Opportunity to, to try and change the game, and we didn't take it. What I've liked so far is the, the, the post-match talking has been quite blunt. Um, and people have been willing to take responsibility. I thought Ben Wilmot was, you know, he fell on his sword well and truly, didn't he, yesterday in an interview and said it was his fault and he he, he should have taken one of his chances. But Vladimirovic has been quite blunt as well, I think, in a lot of his post-match um, words. And I've quite liked that up until a point. And, but listening to Colin and Jason there, it's something starting to niggle ever so slightly. Um, I, I make Jason absolutely right on the left-back situation. Kiko is one of the best players at the club at the moment. I think he, he is the one that when he's played has shown he is a level above the opposition, whether it's his touch, whether it's awareness, whether it's his his his, his movement and, and passing. He's shown himself to be a Premier League quality in, a, in the Championship. And I think there's an absolutely no question in anyone's mind that he would play, he would be a more than ample left-back. He's very, very good footballer. And if he wanted to play left-back, he would play there. And the other thing is um, that Vladimir Ivic has sort of been quite defensive um, about the, not the accusation, but the statements from lots of people, including me, that this is a defensive Watford side and that his MO is to be defensive. He said that's not how he wants to play. He wants to play attacking sort of fluid flowing football. 
And if you listen to how Colin so eloquently described what went wrong yesterday, and that's really been a blueprint for, for, for a number of games this season, there's been no signs of that whatsoever, really. There's the, you know, we, the way we break the press is to sit back. That's not, you know, the way, if, that, if, that's, if that's the way you're going to do it, you're playing counter-attack football by definition. And that's fine. But as we've said all along, there's very, very fine margins on that and you have to not concede and you have to take your chances. Well, yesterday was the opposite of that and the net result is, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost an exact formula. Opposition score um, equals Watford loss or Watford don't win. Um, and so it's starting to, there's a, just a few little niggles creeping in. Um, it's like, well, what we're seeing isn't really... It isn't really translating the words that we're hearing spoken on on the pitch, if that if that makes sense. I think trying to play this style of football in the championship is a bit like standing in front of a tsunami and and saying, "Well, I'm I'm going to do it differently." He's like he's trying to reinvent the football that exists in this league, and you know we we know what if someone if you ask anybody what what is the championship, you know what's the characteristics of the championship? It's not beautiful to watch, but it is quite fun. There's a lot of energy, there's a lot of tempo, there's a lot of mm-hmm. players that are very very committed to their own team to you know to to, to try to uh, affect the result and if you're going to try and set up in the way that we're currently set up you're trying to reinvent the wheel a little bit inside the championship as far as I can see and I just don't think that that's going to work we just need a bit more gung-ho we just need to get up the pitch in numbers get into the box in numbers and give yourself the best chance this speaks really for me to if it is caution which is also back to this left back thing. That's 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 if he wants to play four three three, as Jason rightly points out, we have a player that can play in that position, but he's cautious, doesn't want to play him. As far as the substitutions, I do think that both those players have been out for a long time, and I do think it was a question of getting minutes in their legs rather than kind of hoping that they might change the game. But with hamstring, you know, he's been out for twelve weeks with a hamstring injury. Gray, you, you don't want to bring him on and, and, and have him run around at full pelt for 40 minutes or 30 minutes or 25 minutes because you worry that he's going to... So I can sort of see the logic. Although, then why have them on the bench if they're not going to be able to bring them on early enough to affect the result? That that That's a question. But it all speaks to caution. There's, there's There seems to be a kind of culture of caution of, uh, surrounding the manager and then therefore the team, which is why the defenders are still sitting in their own half with 10 minutes to go and we're 1-0 down to a team that isn't threatening us anymore. It's all about caution, and I think we need to we need to flip that coin to be braver, to take more risks. We can bring our you know our Premier League players into this league and play some nice football, but we also have to play Championship football, and that means getting up the pitch, being you know robust, and and committing men forward and taking risks and trying to score more than one goal a game. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Mike's surname is Parkin. He has a son called Arlo. And this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson. It's Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Disappointed. You and the rest of us, all Watford supporters, waking up today on Sunday. Now, what day was it yesterday? Halloween. Did you have a good Halloween? Yeah. Awesome. Now, that means, of course, Halloween 
31st of October means it's the end of the month. My question for you today, Arlo, is who is your Watford player of the month for October? Jao Pedro. Oh, very quick. Straight in there. Jao Pedro, the Brazilian wonder kid. He's starting to look good. Why is Jao Pedro your choice? He scored quite a few goals, but they might not have been in October, but he just plays good overall. Looking ahead to next month, who do you think we need to do well if it's going to be less disappointing for for November? Maybe Capoo. Yep, I think he could be a big key to Watford's hopeful success during November. Arlo, I've interrupted your homework to do this, so you get back to it. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye-bye. Well, I think he's just gone for the goals. I mean, yes, <laughs> Pedro has scored two, and only two in October. As player of the month, only two in October. And I, I just sort of, I, I assumed he was going to say uh, Foster, an outside chance. Maybe it was going to be Chalabar or maybe Kiko. What, what do you think, Colin? Do you agree with Pedro, player of the month? I suppose the goals he scored put him up there. I think I'd have still have to go for Saar. The cross, the t- the touch and the cross for the Parisa goal and the and the and the the shoulder, the head onto the shoulder and the little touch with his right foot before he smashed it at the keeper and then cleverly headed it in. I just think that the real quality, everything that we've seen that's been really good about us has come through Saar. So I think I'd probably go for Saar. I'd go Kiko. Lovely. I said his crosses haven't been great, but when he's got the crosses right, we scored goals. He laid one yeah. on for Pedro, didn't he? Blackburn, the, the cross for Saar against Wickham. But back to Pedro, what earns him a, a big plus point for me, something we didn't mention after the Wickham game. We were saying how our defenders were struggling with um, Akin Fenwar and uh, even scared to challenge him. I'm pretty sure at one point, Pedro's dropped deep to pick up the ball and I think Akin Fen was dropped deep to defend and I think Akin Fen was actually bounced off Pedro and fallen over <laughs> and I didn't see any of that from our defenders that's what we needed so that's a big big bonus yeah. point for Pedro and and to be honest yeah let's give him let's give him uh, player of the month for that as a father I have to disagree with my son uh, it's, it's in the rules um, so just to let him know that he's not going to have it all his all way I do agree with Pedro I think his strength is something that is, is has been brilliant to behold but you know Ben Foster not just for his YouTube um, YouTube videos but I think his performances really have highlighted him as t- to being the comfortably the best goalkeeper in the uh, in the championship Ben Foster has made some incredibly smart saves some of them you know you expect your keeper to make saves but yeah. he's he's made a lot I think this month uh, and he's he's kept us in games uh, Blackburn Wickham in particular so uh, I would go for I would go for Ben Foster with, but with yeah honourable mention for, for Jao Pedro Looking on social media this week, a couple of things sort of caught my eye. Firstly, Colin, uh, Saucy WFC, he wanted her help to settle some beef. Norman oh. Amrabat or Jose Manuel Gerardo? Amrabat. Definitely, yeah. clearly. <laughs> yeah, definitely. In terms of uh, his, his contributions, but who was actually the better footballer, do you think? Well, I don't think we, I don't think we saw the best of Gerardo. I mean, he came in as this kind of... Uh, Spanish number 10 he was going to light us up with his intricate passing and play but we never really saw that I don't think he got an assist or a goal in his in in his whole time at Watford and for a number 10 um, who came with such uh, sort of laurels uh, of this is going to be a hell of a player the best player you've seen in a Watford shirt for years and years it never really happened whereas what you got from Amrabat was exactly what you expected to get from him which was he got his head down he got the ball at his feet he ran at defenders he tried to cross the ball he didn't probably probably have the, the footballing quality that Gerardo had, but we never really saw that from Gerardo, so I would definitely go for Amrabat. We also got that amazing gift from uh, Amrabat, not, albeit not in a Watford shirt, but in, I think he was on international duty for <laughs> yeah. Algeria, voicing Wrong his, uh, making his opinion. Oh, 
on, on international duty for Morocco, making his uh, views on VAR abundantly clear to the, to the world. So yeah, massive tick, um, massive tick for um, for Amrabat. You know, Gerardo scored three goals since he's uh, since he's let no four goals since he left Watford uh, in the back end of twenty sixteen. And yeah, so it's, whether it's we didn't get the best out of him or he's just one of those players who are never gonna never gonna really shine. He had one good game, didn't he? I think against Villa. But whereas Amrabat was was entertaining all over the pitch, I think he had Christian Fuchs on toast in one game if I remember rightly and then also for the thrill seekers amongst Watford fans whenever Amrabat was defending in our own penalty area um, whether he would give away a, a penalty or not that was that was always a, a bit of a buzz um, so an entertaining all round the other one came up uh, our friend Jordan Weimer uh, Watford Analytics he said earlier on yeah, he, he said that Ivic's criticism was, was odd to him the first time in a while we've seen a coach really instilling his philosophy on our team it takes time but we have an identity. The big question he then, he said something that, that really raised a question for me. He said, other coaches have sprayed deodorant on our problems instead of actually addressing them. The question I had, Mike, was which Watford coach was using Lynx Africa? Oh God, it's a good question, isn't it? Do you know what? <laughs> it's low quality. <laughs> yeah, it's not I, the best. Know, there's only one person for me that would stoop to using uh, Lynx Africa, and that's uh, that's Marco Silva. He's just <laughs> he's all he's all about the outward appearance. He he doesn't he's not he's not frightened about he does not thinking about anyone getting close enough to smell him. So I think, oh yeah, I'll just use a bit of Lynx Africa. I've heard of that. Marco <laughs> Silva and his Lynx Africa. I'm glad we got rid of him and that that appalling stench. Take it back to the school disco, mate. Tandy, uh, who is uh, your boy. Tandy, uh, he said Dave Bassett, and I had to correct him because historically, uh, Lynx Africa was not on the shelves uh, during Dave. If it Bassett's... was, though, Harry would have been covered in oh, it. Man. Well, hang on, <laughs> I think it's pretty pretty apparent that Dave Bassett didn't use deodorant; he stank. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we would have smelled a bit sweeter if Lynx Africa had been around <laughs> during Harry Bassett's time at uh, at Watford. Mike, you didn't get to go to Oakwell. But you have been before. We have talked about it before, but we've got a bit of a challenge. We want to almost complete this story that's come up a few times. Your, your Oakwell Odyssey. Can remind yeah. everyone what exactly happened many, many moons ago. So as, as a schoolboy, I was in the main pretty good. Um, 95% of the time I was, a, I was a pretty good boy. But then 5% of the time I'd make slightly bizarre, baffling and upsetting choices, for, certainly from my parents' point of view. So it was Tuesday the 12th of April in, in 1994 and I sat in the back of a business studies lesson with my mate Steve. Steve Moran, hello, if you're listening, Steve. And we just looked at each other and we thought, oh, God, this is a bit boring. Wafter away at Barnsley. If we leave now, he could drive, I couldn't. If we leave now, we could get to Vicarage Road in time to jump on the coach and get to Oakwell. So we thought, right, should we do it? And we just looked at each other and nodded. Didn't even tell the teacher we were going to the toilet or anything like that. Didn't even make an excuse. Uh, we just got up, walked out of the walked out of the lesson, jumped into Steve's car. So this we were at school in Amersham, and we had to get to Vicarage Road. We left it very, 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 very tight because we sort of had to pluck up the courage, basically, to walk out of walk out of school and sort of accept that we were going to go on this. Uh, uh, unsanctioned jaunt we decided to do it and now it was unseasonably cold I think it was either been a bit icy or maybe even a bit snowy but he actually on the way there he spanned the car uh, going round a roundabout we were going too quickly bear in mind we're sort of 16 at this stage and he's only hadn't been driving for very long that's why we didn't drive to Barnsley so he spanned the car so we had to stop and shake ourselves down from that little incident and then Go again, get to get to Vicarage Road in time. But that really that used up any spare time we had. And as we got there, we realised the coach had had gone. We'd missed the coach. So like, damn it. 
Charlie was in the ticket office at the time, the ticket office manager. Those of a certain age will, will remember Charlie and, he, and how helpful he was. Jimmy Gilligan came into the ticket office. He was just about to take, I think he would take the youth team up in like a minibus up to Oakwell and they'd, they'd carry out some duties, I think. And Charlie asked him if he could take give us a lift. Jimmy Gilligan was like, no. <laughs> I think he muttered something about insurance, but uh, he clearly didn't want two spotty school kids under his care for the for a, for a 300 mile round trip up north on a Tuesday night. Understandably so. Then the phone went because of the inclement weather. This was a chap phoning Charlie to ask if the game was on, and uh, Charlie was like, "Yeah, yeah, the game's still on." And you could see his 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 brain ticking over. He goes, "Oh, hang on a minute. You haven't got room in your car, have you? I've got two lads here who need a lift." And this guy went. I'll come and get him. So this 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 chap and his and his lad turned up at, at Vicarage Road, and we hopped in his car and drove to Barnsley on a Tuesday night. So two sixteen-year-old chaps ch- jumped in the car with a guy we'd never known met before, um, <laughs> and he took us uh, to Barnsley. Whereupon uh, uh, we didn't have coats. I was just there in a white school school shirt. I don't know if you remember when you were a kid. No one ever wanted to wear a coat, did they? It didn't matter how cold it was. So we literally turned up at Barnsley. I thought, oh my god, I'm going to have to tell my dad. Uh, mum and dad where I am because I obviously wasn't home so found a found a phone box in uh, Oakwell and phoned dad and uh, he said uh, I didn't I said hi dad it's Mike and he went you're in Barnsley aren't you <laughs> I was like yeah he said right we'll talk when you get home I hope they win and he put the phone down but yeah well, and then the guy the guy brought us back as well and that, so an incredible Watford won 1-0 so that obviously made it all worthwhile um, I've blank, blanked out the uh, how severe the bollocking was from from my parents I can only assume it was uh, pretty severe uh, I'm still not allowed out actually um <laughs> But tinge of pride, though, in there, I suspect, from your parents as well. Tinge of pride for your, you know, adventurism. Yeah, absolutely. But I do look back and think on, A, the kindness of this guy who stepped into the breach to, to take us all the way to Barnsley. Because the thought of having two spotty kids in your car all the way up to Barnsley, I think his son uh, was was there as well. Just the, the, the sheer kindness and the sheer camaraderie, the sheer willingness to to reach out to, to fellow Watford supporters was uh, was incredible. And and it's one of my biggest regrets. You know what you like when you're 16, a bit surly, a bit quiet, a bit sort of shy. So he never didn't get his 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 name or details. So we could we could thank him properly. I think nowadays, obviously, oh, what's your Insta, mate? I'll uh, I'll drop you a follow on there. We'd we'd have, we'd have connected, uh, but because we, you know, you're just not that way inclined. I was a as a kid to sort of go through all the formalities of of swapping details. So I I don't know the the guy's name, um, and I would very much like to track him down to say thank you and to perhaps even chip in for a bit of petrol money because to my to my um infinite shame we didn't even chip in for for petrol how bad is that it's a but, three hour over three hour drive i think maybe maybe two and a half if you're on a, on a good day uh to, up to barnsley and and you can't remember his name so if you are that person or you are his son uh and or you may even heard of this story from somebody <laughs> of this two annoying oh man yeah i went to barnsley once through two annoying kids got in the back of our car you know you might have heard it from the other perspective um maybe not so much of a, a the, the perfection uh of mike's viewpoint of the game uh, of, of the trip if that you are that person can you get in touch uh at what for podcast uh on social media or podcast at from the com, and we want to try and track down the man who got Mike and his mate Steve to Barnsley in 1994. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From the rookery end. There's a few more Watford podcasts out there, not just us these days. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, uh, who are doing them. Good luck uh, and enjoy the party. Uh, of course, one that has been around for, for several years now, in fact, it's in its 13th season, is Hornet Heaven, uh, a place that we will all enjoy going to when our time here on Earth comes to an end. As ever, emotional and very funny. I've heard a few of the episodes that are coming up this season. Absolutely spot on. Uh, and this week, one came out, because it is Halloween, where maybe there's... Something going wrong with Watford on Earth, causing something very weird to happen in Hornet Heaven. Suddenly there was the scrunch of footsteps on gravel. Henry, Bert and Barbara turned to look. Coming towards them, slowly, was a man in torn clothes and a black Watford FC baseball cap. His shoulders were hunched. His arms were hanging at his sides. He walked with stiff, lurching steps. His dazed eyes were bloodshot. Henry laughed. Ha! Look at this fellow. He walks like Chris Wellamo runs. He's as confused and disorientated as Carl Dickinson with a football at his feet. The approaching figure came close. Suddenly he grabbed at them. Golly! And his teeth are as big as John Eustace's. Good Lord! Let's show him a clean pair of heels. Henry and Barbara hurried towards the cemetery exit, but Bert couldn't get away. The lumbering man in the Watford cap grabbed Bert by the neck. Bert fought gamely, but the man overpowered him and sank his teeth into Bert's throat as Henry and Barbara watched. <coughs> Bert lay motionless. The man feasted. <coughs> Henry and Barbara ran in terror. Near the cemetery gates, on the tarmac path, they saw a half-eaten corpse in a blood-stained white Watford away shirt from 2003. Help! Henry cried. There's a zombie invasion in Hornet Heaven! You can download those from wherever you get your podcast, same place you get this podcast, uh, or find out more at hornetheaven.com. Now, fanzines are so important to us from the recurring. They were the influence for what we do. We sort of feel like we're sort of a a version of a fanzine, but it's in in audio form. But fanzines, of course, are uh, hard copies of little, normally A5 magazines, which you could always pick up at games. There are many out there, as well as our many podcasts for Watford FC. And I've got to chat to a few guys who are behind some of the ones that you can grab hold of at the moment. Well, that's the trouble. You can't grab hold of them at the moment. Now, we spoke about fanzines. In fact, on 100 Objects, we put in a copy of Clap Your Hands, Stamp Your Feet into our Watford in 100 Objects list. And you heard the podcast earlier this summer. In that episode, I spoke to Dave Messenger, who is the fan liaison officer and a man who was heavily involved with fanzines in the 1990s. He also mentioned and spoke about one man in particular. 
I'm sure Colin wouldn't mind me saying this, but it thrilled me actually to learn that he was getting back in the saddle and and and, and doing something like that because probably um, all the people that I was involved in fanzines with, and there's a lot of people that were you know were, were, were great and all the rest of it, but Colin's the one who's his passion for doing it and his passion for for writing about Watford and producing a magazine and standing in Vicarage Road and selling it to to people is just. He, he's the he's the why he's the person beyond all other people involved that that was involved in the fanzines that, that stood out and it's brilliant to see him in back in the saddle and doing what for treasury i think it's, a, it's an enjoyable read and it's a it's a great angle as well just focusing on the club's history dave's talking about a man called colin Payne. i caught up with colin a few weeks ago and we spoke about how how he got into fanzines how fanzines have changed both in content and how they're made so when did he start his journey into Watford FC fanzines. Oh, 1990 was the first sort of fanzine we did. Yeah, that was the yellow experience back in, it was 1991. Bit of a lonely furrow I was ploughing then. It, it, it didn't really take off the fanzine uh, until the internet came into its own. It just linked up with so many people. People sort of say, oh, the internet's the death of print. But from the fanzine perspective, it just linked you in with so many people and made it so much easier everything about it even just receiving articles you could just cut and paste and just met so many people but in the early 90s when it was sort of people just writing in on full scat paper articles or typing them in and that it, it was hardly anyone else involved what did you make it on the originally what computer did you have to use i'll be honest it wasn't a computer john it was something called a canon star writer it was a word processor and it you, you could read five lines of text at a time <laughs> You'd print it, cut it out, paste it on with sort of aerosol paste and send it off to the printers and they'd scan it in. So it literally was cut and paste with, with letter set headings where the little transfers you had to rub over the letters to get a nice <laughs> heading. It was painful. Oh. It, and, and it shows, if you see them, they are awful. <laughs> yeah, but there's a, there's a certain loveliness to them though. There's a human side to them. Nowadays, you get a nice sort of word processing sweet like in design you can move things around sort of literally it was peeling bits of paper off and repositioning them and cutting photos out of Watford Observer to be scanned in why did you start like way back in the day why did you start doing a fanzine then it was basically it's the same story as what Dave tells um when why they started clap your hands stamp your feet is influenced by mud sweat and beers and the whole fanzine culture had just taken off you had when saturday comes and there was another national one off the ball and it was just influenced by that really i used to go to rough trade records in london or sports pages in Charing cross road come back with all these sort of a4 and a5 fanzines and i just thought yeah i can do that although my sort of o-level grade b said i couldn't but um i give it a good go and it, it i just enjoyed it i loved to sort of standing on the street selling it the interaction with people and as it took off it just became a pleasure as more people got on board and how long did you do first stint doing it we did three years was the first one in the 90s and then really it sort of petered out i started a family and i got married started a family and also it was such a poor mood it was around the mid 90s mm. there wasn't that optimism to carry it through it it, it become quite miserable it, and the last issues we did reflected the sort of the grimsby game where all the fans invaded the pitch and stormed the boardroom after that i just thought no one really wanted to write for it at the time either 
funny enough, when the good times come back, so did we. So yeah. when you did the Treasury, or how did that spark on? Because I know it's sort of influenced by the group on, on Facebook, but that, that's a step to go from sharing some pictures on a Facebook group to being something that's a very slick and well-produced hardback almost. You know, I, think it's, I don't want to call it a magazine. I want to call it uh, a periodical or something like that. It's so grand. Yeah, there's quite a step to make. What was it that made you make that step and go back into fans, fanzine, want of a better word, writing? Partly... Um... And I'm not sort of picking up my part. I, I, I wanted to do right again. And that Hornet History Group come up and I was looking at, there was people posting, there was like Ollie and Jeff Wickin and guys like David Harrison. And they were, they were posting some really interesting stuff. But also I knew they could write. These were people that, who had written for um, Look at the Stars when that had been going years before. So although I never actually sort of knew them that well, that they were people who I knew could write. So... um I put a call out, really, I, I sort of messaged people on Facebook Messenger saying, would you be interested in doing something? But the thing was, it needed there needed to be a catch, and perhaps I set myself the stall quite high to start with. I, I sort of tried to sell it them by saying, this would be a high-end magazine, it wouldn't be a fanzine, it'd be something really sort of different, unique and special, because really I wanted to draw them in and tempt them. It almost said... <laughs> set the rules really we, we couldn't then go back and say yeah we can produce an a5 fanzine on this because it had been sold as we were going to do this high-end thing fortunately ollie knew andy andy barker who does the layout and i think that's a massive part of the success of the watford treasury is how it looks it, it looks really good and once andy sort of come on board and said yeah he'd like to be involved it sort of suddenly yeah actually this isn't as just a pie in the sky dream this is something we can do and as people writing and we saw how Andy laid it out it's like to say it becomes something that that is a bit special and I, th- I think it's unique I've not seen anything like it done by any other clubs what uh, volume are you on now we're on volume six is coming out next month after what will be nearly a year so volume six it, it was all ready to come out last March and literally it was two days before it's due to go to print they suspended crowds and we thought we can't do this we can't we're not going to be able to sort of cover our costs on it and there'd be no one to actually buy it because we sell so many at games and at the Hornet shop that actually we could bring it out, but we was worried no one would see it. Then we sort of said, no, we're going to have to hold and didn't expect it to sort of not come back really. We was hoping it would maybe be a month or two, but, but that was the last one. Number five was the last one when number six sort of queued up and ready to go. But then you got a bit bored at home as we all did during lockdown and you start home tide i was assuming you like everything in life you went oh we've got a couple of weeks let's do something for a little bit of time but then it's growing and it's even evolved even further originally what do you want from home tide we'd written the treasury we were sitting around twiddling our thumbs we thought we can do something put it out online as a magazine but not actually print it so it started out the first one was a sort of best of the treasury if you like articles from the treasury and articles from various other publications we've been involved in and it just grew from there we got to issue two and three and people were asking you know is it possible to get this in hard copy so we printed 50 off and did it mail order and that sold out quite quickly so we had to go and print more 
and it evolved from there. The one problem was we set ourselves the standard of doing it fortnightly. So we ended up over a very short time doing an actual lot of little magazines. And somehow I, I, I like to think the standard was quite good. As this season's approached, we thought we can't keep doing this fortnightly. It's too much. And by that stage, the lockdown had eased a bit. So the name Home Tide was a bit redundant. We had a sort of chat amongst ourselves and decided that we'd bring out a regular publication monthly and we called it Yellow, Black and Red. And this is, how often will Yellow, Black and Red come out? It's once a month. It'll okay. be, yeah, every month. Yeah, because I mean, I've, I've been getting them. Um, yeah. And we're issue four or three now? Three. Three, yeah. Three. Issue three. It's just come out a couple of days ago. We, we got it in Hornet Shop yesterday. And yeah, October's is out. And that is a little bit different. It, it is the sort of you guys that I, I keep referring to the, the Treasury uh, team. And it sort of says it's, you know, from the Watford Treasury. But it, it's definitely got a different feel. It's definitely a bit a bit more, it's, it's not all modern, but it's, it's definitely got, it's, it's one foot at least in the, the now, hasn't it? What we wanted to do, we wanted to sort of put a bit of blue water really between YBR and the Treasury. And I think the thing with Yellow, Black and Red is it's done from a personal angle. If you yeah. imagine everything about going to a football match, and if you were to actually take the pitch out of it, that's what we're, that's what we're left with, really. That that personal experience, what it, what it means, the day, the tales. But uh, nowhere in it would we sort of analyse a game or do a match report or sort of really go into football. But it... it it's personal, I think, and I, th- I think that's the joy of it. It's sort of just a personal look at what it means to support Watford and, and what it entails. What's it mean? What what for you as a Watford fan? What is the thing that means to you being a Watford fan? Then at the moment, frustration. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's that's um, not a new feeling, I, Colin. That's been around no, many times over the last yeah, many but, decades. But I think frustration of not being there more than anything. To me, being a Watford fan, it isn't necessarily the the winning and the losing. It's looking at something bigger. It's that being part of something. It's like I was watching the Luton game on the television and thinking if I was there, that last 10 minutes behind the rookery, sort Mm, of, we'd be sucking that ball into the net. There'd be sort of, people would be the feet on the walls and roaring it on. And it's... It's that all-immersive passion that you get from being in a football ground, I think. Um, and that you've got the other extremes. There's other times you're sitting in your seat almost looking at the sky and look, looking at the words to the Elton John song, diverted, and, and, and it can be crushingly boring. But I think it's being part of something. It, it's hard to say. It's hard to bottle, really. So the two things I miss, or the one thing I do miss, is, is a couple of the characters, let's say, around us. Where we sit in the rookery and what they, what that, and I do think there's one bloke who's just like, in many ways, everything he says is absolute stupid stupidity. But you know, you wonder what he's saying at this moment during a game. Uh, you wonder what another character might be shouting out at, at this at these points. Um, but I do miss the people I sort of go with, who I only only ever see them at Watford games. Uh, but the I like to say the, the 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 judge of me of a game is uh, Jason's uh, girlfriend and her mum sit behind me. And there's always the first 10 minutes of a game where they're talking to each other about life and whatever, they're just catching up. But when their conversation really goes off, like in the second half, and they're really not talking and watching the game, you think, yeah, that's, that's, this is a bad game. <laughs> this isn't something that's keeping their attention because they start talking about you know normal things. 
And I suppose that, that, that even though that's that this, those are things I'm, I'm missing the most. What's your and what's what's your favourite yeah favourite bit of being a Watford fan? It's your favourite time of being a Watford fan. Oh, what era or even season? What's your favourite season? Eighty two, eighty three. It's that time I was, I was. I'm a bit older than you, I'm afraid, John. But oh. I was. Um, I would have been eighteen. It was a time of uh, music, and I, I would go to gigs. I'd go to football. I, at the time, I had no sort of deep relationships. So I had disposable income, so I travelled all around the country. And it coincided with that wonderful time of sort of coming up, finishing runners-up, the following season going to Europe, Wembley. And just, it was an ideal time to sort of be going from a boy to a man, really. I think for a lot of people, that time's going to be your favourite era anyway at football. It just coincided with actually being probably the best two seasons in the club's history. Still very fond of it, still very fond of the players. If it was down to me, every single article of the Treasury and YBR would have articles on Nigel Callaghan, because I still think (laughs) he is my favourite Watford player ever. And it still resonates, and it's still one of them things, I think, that is the bond. It, it, It will always tie me into Watford. Hopefully I'll still be here in 20, 30 years' time, but I don't know if I'll ever remember another season or era as fondly as that one, because that was special. From the rookery end. Colin is one of those characters, uh, Mike, that is so important to life as as a fan of any football club to sort of put that extra effort in to, to create a, a, a fanzine, but also to keep going and keep going and keep going over many years of creating all the different fanzines he's been part of. Firstly, it just shows how important football is to people, doesn't it, that, that Colin's willing to do that. But what a wonderful listen that was. I loved just uh, just, just transported, certainly talking about the early ways he had to create the, the, the fanzine, cutting it and literally cutting and pasting and, and that sort of labour-intensive way of creating something. But such was the commitment to getting it out there and sharing it with, with fellow fans. And I think that is just the very, you know, that's the essence of what being a, a, a football supporter is, isn't it? The, the more you put in, the more you get out we've often said it's not just about what happens between three o'clock and, and quarter to five on a Saturday it's so much more than that uh, being a being a Watford supporter being a football supporter and Colin is the absolute essence of that and I loved hearing from it and yeah we're so lucky that there are people out there who have put so much effort in there's people before Colin people at, around that time as well and continue to do it now and it's brilliant absolutely just transported me away listening to listening to him now absolutely fantastic so remember it's the watfordtreasury.co.uk where you can pick up uh, the upcoming uh, editions of the Watford Treasury, which are just huge volumes of, of fantastic visual yeah, uh, treats. Uh, but also you can get your subscription to YBR, Yellow, Black and Red, uh, the sort of slightly smaller but uh, monthly fanzine that you may see an interview with a certain somebody on the next edition. <laughs> I do want to just say how brilliant these, these publications are, not just because we've just had Colin R, but on... They are beautiful and they are fascinating. They are well written. So they're just glorious. If you haven't had a chance to, to, to hold or see any of, the, any of the stuff that Colin's worked on, please, please do. If, if you're a Watford supporter, you will not fail to find something of interest. It, it, beautiful is the best way of describing it. And the work those guys have put in recently, absolutely phenomenal. Beautiful stuff. There's also other Watford fanzines out there. Uh, one particular has been going for a few years, but it's slightly under different guidance now. Golden Pages. And I cut up with Tom Wicks to find out what's going on with Golden Pages. <laughs> 
Golden Pages um, started in 2015. It was David Anderson's creation. I think it was a uni project, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he did great work to, to build that up from nothing and a strong social media presence helped him with that. He was no longer able to do it. And I'd, I'd written for Golden Pages since uh, the second edition, I believe. So with it just sitting there dormant, I thought I'd ask whether he minded if I if I take the reins essentially and um, bring it back to life, I guess. Yeah, so I'm, I'm three issues in uh, to my editorship, just kind of trying to find interesting, engaging Watford content with the help of kind contributors and uh, to, to produce an interesting, something different for, for Watford fans to, to read. like to have satirical pieces, something to make people smile and laugh, while also having pieces produced by people that memories things that they want to share with other Watford fans that they may not get through the usual mediums yeah trying to strike the balance but yeah ideally just something interesting um, something different for people to look at that's engaging hopefully funny and uh, yeah it's the best way to describe it I guess now the Deanie issue is out. Now, I subscribe today. Would that be included in my first subscription? Or anybody who subscribes now, would they get that one? Yeah, so there's a three-issue subscription for this season. Deanie one was released um, at the beginning of the season. So we've posted all of those out, so that will include your copy, John. Um, and subscribers get with each issue a postcard. Which it's, it's a piece of artwork from, from one of the contributors. We have a few very talented artists that, that contribute towards Golden Pages. And this one in particular encapsulates the, the signing of, of Deanie using the, the money from the Elton John concert way back in the day. This issue is, is one I'm particularly proud of. I've got a very short interview with Troy himself in there where he, he covers, covers a few bases that may not have have been touched previously with his media work and also got words from uh, Luther Blissett, Dean Austin as well. Just really, really interesting pieces on what they think of Troy and his time at the club. It's packed full of stuff. It's got every Troy Deeney goal up until the start of the season. It's one I'm really, really proud of. That The next two editions, one will be released mid-season. I don't have a date. Expect that to be in January. Then I'll have one that will be released at the end of the season and be posted to subscribers, obviously, because I won't be outside uh, Vicarage Road for the rest of the season. If I want to get hold of a copy, uh, how will I get hold of one? Uh, so our uh, fanzines and the, the 2021 calendar as well, uh, both available from our shop. I have the link on uh, on the social media accounts. So what's the, what's the calendar? Is it? It's not what I hope it is. <laughs> <laughs> the, the calendar, I think everyone clearly misses going to Vicarage Roads and the crowds and it's, it's watching Watford is far more than just watching the players that, that wear yellow on the pitch. I think there's something mystical and special about, about Vicarage Road and turning up there on a match day uh, where you've got people flooding out of the, the chip shop, the pubs, going into the club shop. And what I've done is collected 12 images with a busy, bustling Vicarage Road, something that I'm sure we all miss, something which we hope to get back as soon as possible in a, in a safe way, of course. It's something to help the the woes, I guess, of, of Watford fans that are, are reduced to watching watching the games on the sofa. It's great that Tom is is working on Golden Pages, and these are obviously really, really difficult times. And it's you know we've got podcasts. There's plenty of podcasts at the moment for for people to listen to, and there's these these uh, fanzines and magazines trying to keep um, Watford supporters connected to the club. And, and I think it's probably 
more important than we perhaps realize at the moment you know that the, the landscape is changing once again in in this country when it comes to the pandemic and there's no real sign of of, of supporters being allowed back into to, to, to clubs in in the, in the football league at the moment and i think it's very very difficult i think that people are feeling distanced from from football and i think it's it's obviously having a quite a big effect on people's experience as a supporter. And I think it might be leading to people being slightly more critical because they're not getting that hour before the game with their mates. They're not getting the hour and a half of chanting and singing and uh, sh- shouting abuse at the ref and, and taking the mick out of the opposition, pointing at the opposition fans, getting all that out there and then having your hour with your mates afterwards because that's what football is. And without that, all you see is... Uh, either the match or a match report or the stats or the or, or the or the fit or the or the result and it's just it's one dimensional compared to the three dimensional experience that we all love so much and whilst the great work that Tom does with golden pages the superb work that Colin uh, and his team do with all their various periodicals and magazines is, is great and the, the work we all do on the podcast it helps but there is such a big chunk missing and i think that's really you can see it in the in the, in the tone I think of of people and how they're responding to to, to results and, and matches. It, it's it's easy to be critical because that it, there isn't that link, there isn't a connection because we're not there to see them trying, fighting, tackling for the name of, of the shirt and for the name of Watford. And I think it's really difficult at the moment. And so yeah, the the fanzines and the and that sort of stuff are, are so important. But I think it's important for us to to realise just how difficult it is as a as a football supporter at the moment and how perhaps we need to stick with it and cut cut them a little bit more slack on the pitch. They're they're doing their best and the bottom line is we're not there to see it, which which makes it that little bit harder, doesn't it? From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Back home uh, for a game against Stoke City. It's going to be a cold game against Stoke, but but not at Stoke uh, for Watford this Wednesday. Uh, we're hoping for goals, 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 Colin. Well, it'd be nice to see us uh, try and score some goals. <laughs> no, I don't that. mean that. I just mean I'd love to see us just be a bit more committed in in our attacking play to put to take more risks to to push more players up uh, up the pitch to try and dominate the opposition. We've got the talent. We've definitely got the ability to do that. We just need to switch, turn down, sort of dial down the caution and dial up the uh, the ambition and aggressiveness in our play, and then I think we'll be fine. Jason, who's going to be the player of the game? The, the, who's going to start the November? Player of the season run. Kiko's going to get his crown back from uh, Pedro, the one that he should have won in October. <laughs> He's going to start November in a positive vein. He's going to start putting some decent crosses in when he gets into those good positions. And whoever's up front is going to get on the end uh, and we're going to turn Stoke over. I said with this uh, this run of games before the international break, I thought we had opportunity to pick up points. Stoke is probably the hardest game out of that, so yeah. I think it will bring a different challenge. I may be making a big mistake. I was looking forward to Wickham. I was looking forward to Barnsley. That obviously didn't turn out well. I'm now looking forward to Stoke. Come on, boys, let's do it. I've been quite positive in the last couple of podcasts. I've I don't know whether it's because it's a Sunday morning. I've only had one cup of tea, but 
this is looking like a massive challenge all of a sudden and it, it looks feels like a big game now because it's been it's been a tough week we we should have probably should have beaten Bournemouth we conceded late poor performance mm. against Wickham and then uh, no shots on target against Barnsley they're the, they're the headlines late equaliser poor performance no shots on target that's that's the week in Watford it's not great is it and we can't, now we've got a Stoke side which is still full of very very experienced very very decent players um who are, you know look at the, I look at they think they might be a decent shout for the for the playoffs this season and it's probably it's the team we'd like to play the least at this stage in the season but you know that these these are the games you get in the championship every team has has quality but Stoke looked like a real real big challenge so we're we're now running out of wiggle room for Watford to to step up step up we've 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 sort of blown this week really two points from from nine isn't isn't promotion form is it and that there's nowhere left to hide so they're going to have to step up at a strange kickoff time of course on Wednesday seven o'clock so we'll see how uh, see how that goes but it's looking like a tough game pessimistic Mike is back ladies and gentlemen <laughs> it's good to be here and it's good to be a Watford fan sort of come on you boys. 